This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. Before we get going today, my next novel, the title has dropped. It's called Only the Dead. If you want to see the trailer for that title drop, you can go to my Instagram or to the Jack Carr YouTube channel. And that is hitting shelves in spring of 2023. Available for pre-order now. My guest today, Matt Coyle. He is the author of the Rick Cahill series. This is his latest doomed legacy. Such a great guy. And before we start, I want to read the back from his debut novel, Yesterday's Echo, which came out in 2013. And here it is. While never convicted of his wife's murder, Rick was never exonerated either. Not by the police, not by the media, not even by himself. Eight years later, police suspicion and his own guilt remain over his responsibility in his wife's death. When he meets Melody Milana, a beautiful yet secretive TV reporter, he sees a chance to love again. When she is arrested for murder and asks for Rick's help, the former cop says no, but the rest of him says yes, and he grasps at the chance for love and redemption. Rick's attempt to help turns terribly wrong, and he too becomes a suspect in the murder and the target of a police manhunt. On the run, Rick encounters desperate people who will kill to keep their pasts buried. Before Rick can save himself and bring down a murderer, he must confront the truth about his own past and untangle his feelings for a woman he can never fully trust. Man, that is awesome. And now, without further ado, Matt Coyle. Hey, there he is. Hey, Jack. What's happening? How are you? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I like that. Guys, look at this right here. Look at the background there. Nice. There you go. Seeing those books. A lot of those uh, people back there have given you blurbs. Hey, nice. There it is. I <laughs> love it. Love it. Marketing genius. <laughs> How's it going? Good. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. I'm glad we got to work this in. Yeah, I appreciate you doing it. Yeah, hey, I don't know if you, uh, we're not, we're not, um, we can, this isn't we, gonna be... yeah, we can, I always just start right off, but yeah, we can, we can, oh, hold, cool. we can hold off. I just, also. I want to know if you look at the uh, spine of the book I sent you, Doom Legacy. Don't say anything. Last, if you look at the spine. That's for damn sure. No, the one you just picked up. Yeah. Hold on. You, you got the right one. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. The spine, no, the spine is wrong. What? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Now that's you said Doom Legacy, and I just looked at this. I'm like, I swear, I just looked at the cover. Yeah, it's being fixed. It's being fixed. No way. That's yeah, crazy. It's a collector's item then. <laughs> yeah. That's that totally messed me up because I was like, I swear, I just looked at Doom Legacy and put it here, and then I looked at it from this angle and was like, oh no, look at that. I put oh, the wrong. It totally messed me up too when I realized it. No. How long did it take you to realize it? Longer than you would think. Uh, oh, no. I the books. I don't know, um, about four days, four or five days ago. And I was looking at them. I love the cover. It looks great. And then I set it down at a table next to me and I was watching some sports or something. And I kind of glanced over and my, it was dark in my, when I was watching TV and I looked over and I saw the spine and go, oh, I, I put a copy of, uh, of last redemption over there. And then I went, Oh shit, wait a second. That's what I just <laughs> did. <laughs> I realized. And I, yeah. I don't know, but it's, um, new dust covers are being made as we speak. No way. So if they've already shipped, how does uh, well, how did that how does that work? 
I'm not sure. I well, <laughs> I think mine came directly from the printer. I mean, I get mine pretty early, so it's not out till till uh, the 15th of November. So <laughs> I brought this up. Um, so we got time. No way. That is wild. A, a lot of us missed it. A lot of people saw that. And missed yeah, it. I've had it for a few days and I didn't didn't notice it even when I put no, it I mean, up here. I'm talking about like the PDF. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's so easy. People don't realize how easy it is to miss things like that. And that's a, right. I mean, that's, you'd think that would be huge, but your focus yeah, my, is elsewhere. My books generally aren't space out. Yeah, exactly. And you don't, ex that's one of those ones that subconsciously you just expect to be right. Like I, you right. just look like, oh, okay. And then you boom. And it's kind of the colors, right? And all that stuff. And it just, your brain tells you that the spine is going to be the exact same as the cover. Exactly. Uh, and, and so it's one of those spine, weird things. The spine of the arc is correct. So that makes it doubly strange. Interesting. Yeah, that is wild. Anyway. There's uh, that, those are hard to catch. I mean, just like regular edits, you know, you're going through yeah. and you've read something so many times and there's that an that should be an A, but your mind has put the A in there so many times, uh, and then someone catches it, uh, and it's a third pass, fourth pass, whatever it might be, uh, and then you fix it. But it's one of those ones that you've seen so many times and is so easy, and you're like, well, your brain just puts in there what it uh, what it thinks should be. I, I find that happens quite frequently. For me, it's form and from. There you go. There you, and. Also, the autocorrect doesn't help because now we become exactly. so uh, so dependent upon that when it's an actual word that doesn't need to be uh, where, where it's maybe it, it's getting a little better. I've noticed it's you know, it'll put that little blue squiggly line under sometimes if there's a grammatical error. So sometimes right. that a and that an will catch. Uh, but other times it, you know, it won't for whatever reason, I guess, depending on what uh, what version of word you may be working in. But, uh, right. but yeah, I noticed that happens, uh, uh, fairly frequently with words that are, that, uh, <laughs> just like that, just like that. It's wild. It's wild. Man, but this is a crazy one. And I just saw this for the first time on another book. Um, but it was a, a uh, international edition of the latest, uh, Kyle Mills, Vince Flynn. And I think oh, it was somebody oh. in Australia, I think picked one up and it had the wrong, spine on oh. it as well yeah but it was an you international all the way to retail i feel better then. yeah i think it went all the way to retail but an international <laughs> version uh but that makes it worth more you know yeah, well yeah that'll put it up a nickel above uh that's right. <laughs> regular retail that's right that's right so this is number nine right dang right. That's, amazing. that's amazing and right here yesterday's echo so this one 2013 right for this yeah. one man that is I was uh, 10 years in the making I, I've, I read that and I don't think I knew that. Um, and we've known each other for a few years now. And yeah. I don't think I knew that until I just read it uh, right before I ran in here that you worked on this for 10 years. Uh, but yeah. you didn't just decide one day that you wanted to get up and write this book. You wanted to be a writer from a pretty early age. Right. I, I knew, um, I'd say when I was, I get the years wrong, but 13 or 14 or maybe yeah. even 12. Um, I remember reading, um, Agatha Christie and uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You know, I think when you're that age, you really love the puzzle piece aspect of that. It's like, mm -hmm. you got, plus it's black and white, good and bad. Yeah. And so putting the puzzles together, putting everybody in the room, of course, and that is really cool. And then my dad, when I, like I said, I'm maybe 13-ish. My dad gave me the simple art of murder by Raymond Chandler. Of course, his, his essay on, uh, on writing uh crime mysteries and he kind of took a shot at Agatha Christie actually but anyway um and then I, I it's all these short stories to go with it and I start reading I go wait where's the black and the white and mm. uh there's some gray in here and of course at that age 
you know, a young teen, you're kind of, you got some, you're learning about gray as it is. So it really appealed to me. Of course, Chandler's, you know, to me, the best crime writer ever, perhaps. And I started reading Ross McDonald and I started reading Dashiell Hammett. And, you know, that's how old I am. I mean, they, they were dead, <laughs> but still, yeah. they weren't dead that long when I yeah, started right, reading. Right. In fact, uh, Chandler died the year I was born, I think, actually, um, or maybe a year after. Um, so, yeah, I knew then I was that age. This I go, man, I want to do this. I, I um, was pretty good in English and, you know, in school. And uh, what I didn't understand about the whole writing thing, and I think you picked this up earlier than I did, is that to become a writer, you actually have to write. So <laughs> I didn't I didn't start doing that seriously. I mean, I went to call, you know, I got a degree in English, which is good for uh, waiting tables, which really didn't what I did when I got out of college. But um, I always knew I wanted to do it. I, I made the mistake of telling people, yeah, I'm going to be a writer. In the meantime, I'm kind of going from job to job, industry to industry. I was in the golf business for many years, sports licensing business, restaurant business initially, uh, straight out of college. But, but I, you know, I would at times when I was when I was uh, um, the mood hit me, you know, I'd write. But of course, it's work, you know. So that was when you're inspired. It's good for for me. I'm a slow writer, maybe three pages, and the rest of the grind. And I, I didn't get past those three pages for. 20 years I mean, every once in a while I'd put together a weekend, but, um, I just didn't fall through. And then I'd worked for, um, I'm going on and on, but it kind of, it'll, it'll fill space. Um, I'd worked for four golf companies that I, I say I helped put out of business or they changed their <laughs> entity in 10 years. Um, they either, either one, they either did go out of business or they were bought by somebody else who worked for Odyssey Golf and Callaway bought us. You weren't white writing um, their copy, were you? Pardon me? You weren't writing their copy, were you? Oh, God, no. No. <laughs> no. I wasn't even dedicated enough to do that. Okay. Um, but anyway, I, I saw the handwriting on the wall, this last company I worked for, and I said, that we're going down. And I had a little money saved up. And I said, well, when it does, I'm going to um, write a book, or I can't pretend like it's something I'm going to do ever again. Mm. You know, I got, I have to, I was 43, I think. Okay. And I said, you know, you basically haven't made a career. Your fam family members are pretty successful in what they've done. You've gone from job to job and then you've had this thing that I'm going to be a writer. I never really did anything about it. So I put, I drew the line in the sand. I said, you got a writer. You can't, you can't pretend this is being something you're going to do. And I, um, in five months, I'd written uh, what I thought was a book because I had a, um, the beginning said chapter one and the, and the last page I wrote the end at the bottom. So I figured I had a book. <laughs> You know, it's roughly yeah. 300 pages. Uh -huh. you know? And so um, I did that, that done in five months. And I was very lucky that the guy I used to work with um, in, the, in the golf business said, hey, I'm working for the sports licensing company. Do you want to come over and, and do sales for us? And I said, well, this is, I honestly got a week after I, um, a week after I quit, uh, I finished the, the book. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, Eric, um, I'd like to help you out, but it only be for a while because I've written this book and pretty soon I will sell it. I'll buy the house in La Jolla and I'll never have a day job again. And I was, I didn't have about the house in La Jolla yet, but I was pretty prescient because I worked for him for 16 years. So, <laughs> so, uh, and then I finally quit four years ago, but um, it's from that point, it took me 10 years to get published. Um, you know, cause it's the, the book was a first draft and, probably i don't know seven drafts or so and and i've always said that i'm fortunate that i was never published or got an agent at an yeah. earlier part because if somehow i did get published 
with this, you know, a lower quality book, whatever level I'm at now, um, I wouldn't be there because I would have, you know, I, I may not even still be being published because the, the quality, I wouldn't have gotten some minimal acclaim, which I did for my first book. And you got a lot of acclaim for it. There's like every award you can possibly get no, in the not, mystery no, there's genre. Not. There's like, yes, there's a lot. Don't be mumble. There's, there's not, but, but, um, but it, it does help. It, I mean, it does help get you some, some notoriety and that, that certainly helps, um, kind of build a career, be more accepted. So, yeah. So I, of course, you know, now I look back, I've been writing this character for 20 years. Um, but I look back, it took me 10 years, not 10 years of sending out probably close to six years of yeah. sending query before I was picked up even by an agent. But um, I really, it's easy to say now that thank God that it went the way it did, because if I had been picked up earlier, I think my career would be different. So you were refining it along the way and was, uh, yeah. was yesterday's echo the, uh, was this the one that you were, did the five pages on uh, like 30 years ago when you were still waiting tables or whatever you were uh, doing in the restaurant? Yeah, actually, um, yes. That was the foundation, and, like uh, the idea is the same? Right. Well, it changed quite a bit and title changed, thank God. Um, but I, about the process of uh, a revision and everything, and and it, yes, it was the same book. And I got to the point actually finally where, because you know, there are people that are trying to just continue to refine and refine their first book yeah. and then it never gets published. And sometimes the book is not going to be accepted by the market. Yeah. And I was very close to that point. I actually started um, this, the second book, what became the second book. And I said, you know, I've learned my lesson. I've gone this for as long as I can. I needed to write this story to get my idea of Rick anyway. So it's all good. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not going to, but I have to move on. And I got a, soon thereafter, I got a rejection from, I'll call a very nice lady, but I'll call a C agent. You know, you got your A, B, C's, and then you only want to go below that. And uh, she wrote a very, very nice rejection letter telling me um, where it was short. And so there's a woman that I've worked with for years. I haven't in a few, but she's a wonderful woman. Carolyn Wheat. She uh, was a mystery writer and she teaches now. Um, online and um, she had the misfortune of probably seeing every draft of my first six or seven six or seven books um, so she she's she knew my work and I said do you look at read the email is there something here should I address her issues and she said well send me five hundred dollars in the manuscript and I'll tell you and uh, I did and she gave me 12 page single space notes in a few months and um, I revised again, and then I ended up getting an agent. And then that book, that you know, there's a store there. I there's an agent in L.A. who was very nice, uh, who rejected me. Said, "Hey, I think you can write, write, but I just the subject matter of this book yesterday's echo it's not right for me." I go, "Great." She goes, "And don't get discouraged because um, what do I think? I always blank on his name. It's, it's embarrassing. The the, the 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 husband and wife writers and now their son writes." Um, Anyway, um, people will know who it is. But you say, so don't get discouraged because he's, he didn't get published till his seventh book. And I was 50 at the time. I said, well, I'm not going to live forever. So, um, but yeah, so I ended up writing. It probably was my seventh book too, but it was the same book. I was just re revising, revising, revising. Thank God. Yeah. What? So when you're 13, 14 and you read the, uh, uh, the books that you were reading then and there's the draw towards uh, mystery and crime, 
Um, did you ever pick up any of the, the thrillers of that of that time frame? So reading, well, sure. I mean, it's, it's it's that's pre Tom Clancy days, I'm guessing. So you're still, uh, I mean, we still have, we have Higgins back then, Jean Le Carré, of course, earlier the Bond well, books, love uh, Ludlum's in there. You know, you yeah. have all these uh, all these amazing authors back there, uh, Alistair McLean. Absolutely. Uh, like, did you read those as well? But you're just drawn more towards uh, towards crime and mystery. I was I was drawn more towards crime and and uh, hard boiled crime specifically. Um, I like first person narration, but but I read but I read everything. I read Ludlum. I read every book that he that he wrote. And when I was a young age, I remember reading. Um, what was the one they made a, a movie with? Um, with who? Sorry, cut out for a sec. They made a movie with uh, Frank Sinatra out of the book. Oh. He was a detective. It was a guy with the, it was a guy with the axe, the ice pick, ice axe uh, murderer. Ooh. What the hell is it called? Anyway, I don't know, but I'm going to watch it tonight. I don't think I've seen uh, that one. Yeah, was luck, it an actual luck. movie or like a made-for-TV? Yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a movie movie. Frank Sinatra and, but it's a, it's a London book. The first something, I think it was. And I'm going to look it and up. And it's really, I mean, I'm, I'm on a vacation with my family up in Lake Tahoe and I'm sitting there reading this book and I'm, there's a scene. I go, what? I am not old enough to read this. But, <laughs> nice. But, uh, yeah, I read a few yeah. of those when I was a kid too. So they're thinking like, oh, geez, I don't think my parents know what's in this thing. Right. They did not. It's all research. It's all research for, for later in life. Yeah. No, it really was. All those books that I read growing up at those early ages, yeah. that helped form that foundation I continue to build upon today. And I feel so fortunate that I got to read those at such an early age and got to read them through the lens of a, of a kid, just wide eyed, experiencing that magic without the kind of some of those other, the, the cynicism maybe that builds up over the years, experience, right. whatever it might be. Um, I guess in a, in a more of an, in an age of innocence, I guess. And there was, cause there was such magic and power in those pages uh, that really inspired right. me along the, the path that I'm on today. So uh, I feel very fortunate that I discovered those books at, at such an early age, even the, probably especially the inappropriate parts. Right. You know, I uh, I follow you on your on social media, and you are the best read person that I know. And this, and plus, not just that, but the historic, all the historic uh, things you post on, on uh, Instagram, for instance, is I'm always like, I know this guy's pretty busy. Like, um, how does he get the? I guess he just it's the knowledge you've accumulated over the years, yeah. but uh, it's uh, pretty impressive and a little a little depressing for the rest of us. <laughs> Well, and, and a lot of it is those early years. I mean, I do reach back to those formative years, especially on the memory parts. When I when I post something about the 1979 Iranian hostage crisis or 1980 yeah. Desert One or 83 Beirut barracks bombing or uh, anything like that, TWA 47, anything like that, I remember where I was when I saw those things happening on the news or the newspaper arrived or the time or the Newsweek got to our house. Um, I distinctly remember those images and then reading those articles, watching the news, uh, and they obviously made a made an impression. Uh, and then for some of those things, it was a couple of years later. So obviously 1979 Iranian hostage crisis, I wasn't reading the things that I'd be reading six years down the line, like 1985, right. for sure. I'm reading the things that my parents are, are reading. Uh, and a lot of those had, uh, if, if not references, um, touch points with terrorism um, and our military type with the, the units, that sort of a thing, special operations in particular. Uh, counterinsurgencies, guys had backgrounds in Vietnam that they'd flash back to or think back to to solve a current problem, that sort of a thing. So it was all very, uh, and I wonder today if I had social media back then, like how much I would be attached to that screen, looking up things and, that I'd look at for five seconds, 
15 seconds rather than reading that entire article because there wasn't another option. You couldn't get that information any other way than by sitting down and watching the five to 10 minute news segment on something or reading that 15 minute article in Time Magazine or the 10 minute newspaper article, whatever it whatever it might have been. But you had to put in the work. It wasn't coming to you. Um, right. There weren't as many other distractions, so I often wonder when I see the kids, are, you know, we're in constant competition with the, the the devices, like a lot of parents are these days. Um, so I, I wonder if I'd had those inputs uh, and could look up things, special operations, could follow people uh, online. Uh, what kind of inputs I would have been getting? And I do think about that today too. How important it is, not just for for kids, um, for young adults, adults who they follow um, because yeah. if you're going to get, because you can follow someone, what not just the negative positive part of it, uh, but how much work you have to put in effort to actually read the post of 2200 characters max, uh, which is actually a good writing exercise as well. I found that a lot of those things where I have so much I want to explore and, uh, and talk about, you have 2200 characters to include spaces that, uh, that you can use. <laughs> and so it's actually a good exercise. Uh, and kind of minimizing, you know, words and and that sort of thing, getting to the point, uh, that sort of a thing that I don't have when I'm in front of my computer and can just write and can write as much as I want and expound from different characters' points of view, which I absolutely love. But the the social media stuff is that very, very interesting because it wasn't all out there when you started. 2013, I guess, uh, I don't know when Instagram Uh, came along, but Facebook was was there. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't on it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm a a late adapter to all that actually yeah. uh, although i'm way too invested now but yeah i, I didn't uh i mean i get i was looking stuff up you know online but um hell my first uh I, my first drafts of, of yesterday's echo were written on a uh, used ibm thinkpad with a floppy disk no and i i my first rejection letter was from went to my work email because I didn't have a personal email. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I kind of kind of ruined the day, but uh, <laughs> it all, it's all for the good though. Every rejection is just a step closer. So. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. What's up everyone? This is Jeremy, founder of Ironclad. I just wanted to thank you all for listening to an Ironclad original and helping to bring our shows to the top of the charts. In recent weeks, Reborn with Ashley Horner hit the top 30 in the Apple Podcast Fitness category, and Oil & Whiskey with The Roaster Shop hit top 20 in the automotive section. Also, Success Hotline and Mental Performance Daily have passed the 2 million download mark. And finally, Danger Close with Jack Carr is still crushing it with guests that include Chris Pratt, Tulsi Gabbard, Tokyo Vice author Jake Adelstein, Gray Man creator Mark Greeny, and more. Check out Ironclad Shows wherever you get your podcast. Uh, well, in reading these things, um, emotion, it pays, like, I've, I've heard you talk about emotion and having your character um, really have to become invested in something emotionally, not just have a mystery and solve that mystery along the way, but become emotionally attached to it. Um, and do you find yourself getting emotionally attached to these, uh, the, these mysteries, these crimes, uh, these situations? Um, uh, and do you consciously think, Hey, if I'm, or if my character is emotionally invested, then a reader will be too. Absolutely. Um, some books more so than the other, than others, uh, but always emotionally invested. Um, I actually heard you, uh, and I actually sent you a, a Instagram message on it. And now I can't blanking on because you, something that I've mentioned many times in talks you actually uh, encapsulated it so well in that unlike you um 
my life's been very, you know, it hasn't had a whole lot of action and, you know, I played sports and stuff. And, and, and when you get to a certain age, you had a lot of loss in your life or you've had a fair amount of loss in your life. And that's very real. Um, but yeah, I think you were talking about taking, um, and it was the terminal list. You might've been talking to Chris Pratt, can't remember, but, um, it was taking, you took, you were taking, uh, experiences from the battlefield and you were putting them on the streets of, I think it was LA or San Francisco. I can't remember which. And you said, you know, I took the emotion of that real experience and, and put it in a different, um, different, uh, area, but also slightly different. And I think that's what I always try to do. Like I said, I haven't had, I'm, I'm not, I haven't been a soldier. I haven't been a cop. I haven't been a doctor. I haven't been a lawyer. I haven't been all these different things. But I, when you get to a certain age, you have experienced a lot of the different emotions and a lot of loss or a fair amount of loss. My family had a fair amount of loss. And so I always try to put pull from that and put that into, like Rick's had people die in front of them. They might be a friend or something. Of course, that's never happened to me, but I've had people in my family die and um, tragically. And so you take that real emotion and you, and you pour it in. Um, and that definitely... Um, that definitely hopefully connects with the reader. I, my guy is not the smartest guy in the world, Rick Cahill. He's, uh, but he's very bulldogish, um, and he does get emotionally attached. And there's a reason because before the first book, even his wife was murdered and he feels somewhat responsible for it. And, uh, he's always trying to redeem himself every, so every case that I write about, there's something in it for him, um, to try to find that redemption. And it doesn't always start that way. It seems it can be very innocuous. It seems, in fact, in this book, it seems very innocuous and innocuous initially. And then something happens and he does get emotionally attached and he feels, when he gets emotionally attached, he feels responsible. Mm -hmm. And so then there's no turning back. And there've been the fourth book I wrote, Blood Truth. Um, my father had just passed away, I don't know, probably a couple of months before I wrote it. He was 90, almost 91, but he died under, um, you know, he, the guy, I wish, I hope I have his genes because his brain was like a clock and uh, he died, unfortunately, after a fall. And it was, you know, just one of those weird things that happened. But um, so he was old, but it was still a, a surprise. Right. And the book I was going to, Blood Truth, that I wrote was going to be a father-son book all along. It's one of the few times that I know what the next book's gonna be about, that I kind of have a deeper feeling what the next book's gonna be about. And so when I'm writing that book, it's not only, it's a father-son book for Rick and it's somewhat for me. I mean, Rick has to find the truth about what really happened in his father's life. And uh, so he's digging, very emotional for him. And, and it was really the most emotional book for me. So yeah, I do get emotionally invested and uh, I get emotionally invested to Rick. I've been writing the guy for 20 years, in Rick rather. I've been in his head, first person for 20 years. So. There is a connection. I know he's not real, but um, I am. I do think of it. I do think of his life sometimes. Sometimes some of the things he goes through make me a little sad. Yeah. Yeah. As I'm writing, I, I find that if if I'm getting emotional in a writing or then reading back, uh, more importantly, yeah. reading back um, what I've written um, and I'm getting emotional, then it's a good sign that uh, yeah. at least part of the readership will uh, be feeling those emotions as well. But that's exactly what I do. I grab these different emotions behind certain things that happen downrange and then apply them to a totally fictional narrative. Um, so I find myself doing that with, uh, with, every, with every book. Uh, do you find it uh, therapeutic to explore some of those feelings through the medium of uh, a popular fiction or through a, uh, uh, through a mystery rather than sitting down and just thinking about it yourself? 
in some ways, yeah, in some ways, or at least in some ways, it kind of opens up feelings maybe that I um, have not have shied away from. And uh, kind of at a point in my life right now where I'm starting to explore those things. And so, yeah, I think it's I think it's a good thing. I think right. I th- and I heard, I heard Michael Connolly say that he writes about things that scare him. And um, I think maybe we all do in some ways, but we, we write about things. And it, for me, it's subconscious. I mean, I, I, I try not to think a whole lot when I'm writing. Um, but my subconscious is always working on the book I'm writing. Um, but I think that we're always, uh, looking at things that do trouble us in life. I mean, that's what I, th- I think that's what's going on with Rick's, all his, all his ups and downs, mostly downs is that I'm, um, in, through a different lens, looking at the, my own mistakes in life and trying to figure out why. Yeah, I mean, it can be a powerful tool personally and professionally. Uh, you know, reading, writing those things, uh, I've I found can be very therapeutic. Uh, and then also professionally, uh, really help connect with readers because you're humanizing yeah. these different characters, whether it's the protagonist or, or other ones in there. Um, and they're feeling certain things that then that reader can feel as well through that uh, through that experience of picking up the, the book and spending a few hours in a chair uh, with your characters, with your story. Uh, so I find it very powerful, found it powerful as a, as a kid when I started reading and all the way, all throughout my life, uh, as well. So, um, and you mentioned Michael Connolly, are you, uh, do you like comparisons or do you not? I know some authors, uh, they don't like being compared to others. I like when someone compares me to my stuff to Vince Flynn, I'm like, wow, Roger, that, that is amazing. Thank you so much. Um, but I've heard other authors say that they don't like being compared to, to others. Um, and you do get the Michael Connolly comparison. You're, 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 you have a private investigator in San Diego. Obviously he has in his first book, was it 93 that uh, Black Echo came out? Somewhere around there anyway. Probably, yeah. 1993, somewhere in there. Um, but uh, do you like those comparisons or? or uh, I mean, that's pretty good. Probably, that's, nah, no, that's no, pretty, no. <laughs> of course. That's pretty of course, cool to get compared to, compared to Michael Connolly. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and uh, Mike, Michael Connolly happens to be a very nice guy. He's helped a lot of writers in different mm-hmm. ways. But ab- absolutely, yeah. It's a, these are people that I read. These I read the genre. I I, uh, I know a lot of writers that when they're writing, they can't read the genre, but I can. I think I think all you know. I think it's osmosis. You're collecting stuff all through your life, and you know, I I have been uh, I have been compared to Chandler uh, before. And, yeah, there's one on your um, one on the cover. Uh, there, there. Here we go. Oh, that was uh, Ross McDonald. Yeah. That was uh, legal. Robert Parker. Um, yeah, Robert Parker and, uh, yeah. and Ross McDonald, which is very, very nice. Man. Yeah, but um, yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a. I mean, I've learned. I learned from um, Parker, yeah. uh, McDonald, and uh, they spelled. They put a big D on McDonald. We're changing that too by supposed to be a small <laughs> D. Um, but uh, and Connell and uh, rather and. Uh, Raymond Chandler, but I, I think just, you know, all the reading I've done in the genre, all this stuff has come to me through osmosis. So, and because it took me so long to get published, I developed the, the thing that you hear about writing and it's nebulous, it's hard to describe is voice. Mm-hmm. And I think all those years of having to revise and revise, I finally developed my own voice. Um, and so I'm not worried about what I'm reading from copying somebody. I'm, I love to, I Connolly, I can't tell you how many Connolly books that I've um, dog-eared because just something about um, police investigations. My guy's a private investigator, but he was a cop, and he bumps up against cops. So it's good for me to know mm. the way in, uh, police investigations are, are done. And Connolly's just got, you know, he's an encyclopedia about it. And so I will dog-ear stuff in his books and go back and read it like, oh, yeah, this is important to know. But in terms of um, I'm not worried about 
copying anybody's um, or trying to steal anybody's voice. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, we learn so much from other writers that, and to be compared to anybody is, you know, incredible. Yeah, we find out what you like and you dislike, especially if you have didn't just wake up yeah. one day and decide to be a writer. If you were re reading your whole life, like like you are, I mean, during that time, you're developing your your tastes, uh, your right. likes and your dislikes, and you're making these whether it's conscious or not. You're oh, that didn't work, or oh, I really like this. I wish that author had explored that a little more, gone down that yeah. path a little further, or whatever it might be. Um, so all those things that we're just kind of bookmarking away in the back of our head and building this life experience as a readers uh, that now as writers that we can go and it's just, it's there, it's there. Hey, now yeah. there's that thing that I wish back in 1987 that so-and-so had gone down this other path and didn't, uh, it's in there somewhere. Uh, and now you're doing it, whether you know it or, or not. So, right. but if you hadn't done that reading at those ages, uh, they wouldn't be there. So it's really interesting. Right. I, I, I think ah, I try to get the kids to read once again, it's tough. I read to those kids in the crib as soon as they were home up until they got old enough where, you know, they're like, ah, no, no more reading anymore together. Um, but uh, it's tough to compete with all the <laughs> electronic devices out there. But my hope is that a lot of the kids today, mine in particular, uh, find reading, I think, through audiobooks. It seems like that's yeah. like kind of the gateway um, because they're on these things all the time, podcasts becoming more popular, all these sorts of things, that it's, it's a natural transition into books uh, through that, uh, uh, through the audio um, right. part of it. Um, so I think I, I'm hoping that's the, the case anyway, because because I, I had this foundation built up and I'm, I'm just worried that a lot of a lot of kids today don't don't have that. Yeah, I, I, I worry about it, too. And um, but I, you know, I always thought that uh, J.K. Rowling was you know, a, a godsend for, for, for uh, the yeah. literary community. Yeah, my kids have all read those. Yeah. It's got, got kids writing again, reading rather got kids actually buying mm -hmm. books. Oh yeah. Or their, or their parents buying them. Um, but yeah, I worry about it too. And I, I, not just that, just the, the long form of reading a novel is that it's funny. I went to the, the Padre game. I'm here in San Diego. Um, Padres clinched the playoffs yesterday by losing, but they're in, um, but I went to the game Saturday night and I took a friend of mine and, and she hadn't uh, been to a game in a while. And the stadium, they've got so much stuff going on the whole time. They're, they're attacking you with noise in between <laughs> each pitch. And then all these, you know, they got all these different boards, uh, visual boards, uh -huh. not just the scoreboard, but there's just stuff blinking at you. And that's what, that's what the, we have, mm. all these devices have major, it's all about short term now as yeah. opposed to long term. So I do really worry about, um, of course, my readers are all older than me, so I don't, and we're all living longer. Thank God, I will be cognitively impaired by the time uh, my readers and die, so I'm okay. But I do, I do worry about the long form, um, mm -hmm. but existing. But I, but I think, I think we're okay. Hey, I want to ask you a question. You mentioned audio. Did you find it interesting when you first heard? Of course, you got Ray Porter, unbelievable, who does your audio. But when someone, when you heard audio for the first time how many different characters you have and how the, how good, how a very good narrator can differentiate. It's, it's incredible. And I, I just this last year read the new forward to uh, Terminalist. So I wrote a new forward for the hardcover edition that uh, the media tie in for the Terminalist uh, Amazon series. So I wrote kind of the story of how this came about. And I thought, hey, why don't I why don't I just do, read this part instead of having Ray read that forward because it's new. It's another thing to to talk about to get it out there. Um, and so I decided to read it. 
So I went to a closet here, uh, put the microphone in there, hung all these shirts and like, a bunch of flannels everywhere to, for noise absorption and, and all that. And had a director on the, on the headset and was doing it. It is difficult. And I'm just reading my own voice, uh, trying to get right. through just a forward. And I messed up multiple times. Um, and, uh, and there's certain things I find this happens quite frequently in my mind when I look up a, a name, particularly if they're, let's say, from from Iran or wherever else, and I visually see it, and okay, that's the name, and I put it in there, and I never pronounce it because I'm just typing away in a quiet room, right. and I never say it, and so some of the first times I have to say some of those names are in interviews when people ask me about certain characters, and I'm like, <laughs> and it's in my head, I'm like, I've never said this out loud before, um, and I don't know how to pronounce it, um, but uh, Ray has to to do that. And now I write with audio in mind, meaning I don't want to get uh, a paragraph and a half in before I mention that this person is, you know, from from Yugoslavia and has this, you know, that sort of a thing. Uh, yeah. Right off the bat, I got to set him up for success so he doesn't then have to waste time and go back and be like, oh, geez, I just read you know, three, even if it's just two sentences uh, or one yeah. sentence uh, and he doesn't have the accent yet because I didn't mention it yet. Uh, well, then I, I try to get that stuff in the beginning. So I do think about about audio um, when, uh, as I'm, as I'm writing these days, but, uh, but it, it's, I, I couldn't possibly do it. It's, uh, yeah. it's incredible that he can differentiate yeah. all these different characters. I mean, he's theatrically trained Shakespearean actor and obviously this incredible background and he loves it and, uh, is so good at it, but there's no way I could keep all that straight. It's hard enough when I have a list of characters over here, you know, taped to the side of my computer that has their position and where they're from and a little bit of background right. on them, that sort of a thing. It's hard enough to keep everybody straight in some of these. You have, for English speakers, you have a lot of difficult names in your books too. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. There, and there's some, even the English ones, I never say out loud. Uh, right. So that, so that part, I'm like, oh, geez, how do I say that? Especially when I hear somebody else say it for the first time and it's not the way i've been thinking of it for the last year and a half in my head because i've just visually seen it uh and they say it a different way i'm like oh okay well i guess we're going with that <laughs> so it's it's really interesting the audio side i've just, actually done some yeah. i've moderated some panels where um this, this is what's so embarrassing people that i know that but i but they have interesting last names that i've never really said their last name I don't think I've ever heard anybody. I've read their last name yes. many times. So what I will do is go and find like some podcast or yes. something, just dig down and then I'll find exactly how it's pronounced. I've had to do that a couple of times. Oh, I have, I have quite frequently. Yes, that happens quite yes. frequently on the podcast. Actually, I'm yeah. like, oh, how do I say their last name? I've only called them by their first name and I've seen their last name and maybe I've heard it you have said a few times, but I didn't pay attention exactly to how you, how you, how, right. how you correctly say it. And then if you do hear it from someone else, you have to trust that that person got it right. And that exactly. the author or whoever it is being interviewed didn't just not correct them because it was close enough. Right. Um, you're like Mark Green. It's, it's Mark Grainy. It's, uh, it's Grainy. And I knew right. that early on, but everybody says Greeny because it looks like that. And he rarely corrects them. Um, and, uh, so, but I knew that early on, so I, I, you know, I, I get it right, but, but most people get that one, get that one wrong and he doesn't right. correct them. So every time we go to a podcast to be like, uh, how do you say this person's last name? And you look, you have to be like, okay, would this person correct that person? Maybe let's get a second opinion, <laughs> do a look at a couple others just to make sure. But you know, that's just, just how it is. But, uh, but the audio, I mean, audio is the fastest growing segment of, pu of publishing. Um, and, uh, it, I think it's fascinating. Uh, it's fascinating because 
uh, for, for a ton of different reasons, but, um, but forefront of those, <laughs> of all that is just how hard it is, just how, yeah. how, and how amazing these guys that are at the top of their, the top of their game, how they do it and how many they can do a year. I don't know. Like I just said, I had enough, a hard enough time just reading that forward. And like Ray, he has these books stacked up to do yeah. throughout the year. Uh, and he's, so he's not just working on my book and then another one, like two others. No, he's got a different, all these different characters, uh, a lot right. of them in, and he goes multiple genres and he does nonfiction and fiction. Um, but he's got to keep all that, all that straight. And some of these like thrillers have, you have Russian bad guys. You have, uh, you know, <laughs> bad, you know, so there, there are, <laughs> it, it's gotta be a lot harder than, uh, than it's harder than I'm even imagining it by reading that, that forward and appreciating it, appreciating it as much as I do. It's even harder, uh, than I could possibly even realize, uh, with, even being as deep into it as I am. All right. Yeah, but it's it's great to hear. It's all great to read your own stuff out loud so you can find out what's, you know, what you're, because audio or, or vocal reads differently than you do with your eyes. And you'll pick up some, you'll pick, when you read it out loud, you'll say, I just said he four times in eight words. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it is beneficial to read your stuff out loud, but it gets harder and harder the less time you have. Yeah, I've just recently started doing that. I didn't do it at all for the the first few books, and I'd say probably the last two. I haven't read the whole thing out loud, but I get to a certain paragraph that I just mm -hmm. want to confirm. And the and and repetition. I even gosh, uh, even word repetition when you're aware of it, it's so so hard. There's just things that we say as humans naturally, yeah. and that end up in the book more than than I'd like. Um, right. But uh, but I but I but talking out loud reading these things out loud uh so i won't read the whole thing but i will read paragraphs here and there and they're not necessarily paragraphs that i'm having a hard time with but they're just ones that i just want to make sure make sure i have down right there, there there's some intricacies in there that i want to make sure that i get and that's why i read i will read those ones out loud um i've heard some authors read back from back to front have you heard that before people start when they're when they're editing and they'll start here they'll start with uh let's see chapter they'll start with epilogue and then they'll go here, chapter 52, and they'll read that. Um, wow. And I can see how that would be beneficial because of those things that we talked about earlier. Uh, I'm just, I've, I've read this paragraph so many times that yeah. even though it's not, there's this word in here that that should be a the, I'm putting the the in there uh, just because I know that's what should be there. And there's right. this trick being played. But when you go backwards, I've heard people say that they find a lot more of those. Uh, when wow. I read it from the back. So I haven't done that yet because of time. Uh, <laughs> but if I did have right. time, I probably would uh, do that if I didn't have a bunch of other things going on. I think that would be beneficial. At least try. Maybe I should try it on this next book, on the sixth one that I'm working on now. Um, maybe I'll try that. I found that I should read the spine of the book first. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good advice right there for all for all authors to check that as soon as you my, open the box. publisher is going to drop me. Oh man, that is just, that's still just, just crazy. Um, and I've heard you talk about dropping anchors before. So these ideas you oh, have as you're writing and you just like, you put them in there kind of just to, is that just to save them? Even though you know that, Hey, it's probably not right for this paragraph or this sentence, uh, whatever it might be, uh, this part of the dialogue, but it's a great line. Uh, and you just want to get it down because I keep a separate, uh, word document going for those. Right. But uh, instead of just throwing them, throwing them in, knowing they're not going to work, I just throw them in another document for future future books. Um, but is that uh, kind of what you're doing? Just getting it out there so you don't forget? Well, what happens with me, and I've, I've got a very, uh, we call it as we get older and we've done more of them, organic writing style, but it's very messy. Um, I've I heard you say that I'm, your writing style I, is messy. <laughs> yeah. I try to do, 
I tried to do a skeletal. I used to do kind of a skeletal outline, plot point, you know, exciting incident, plot points. And, and the ending, I still pretty much know yeah. where I want to go. Because you got to have a target. I think that's important. Yeah. But the the more I write, the the more the messier it gets. And I've just I've just learned to to um, trust it because I've done it before. So as I, I mentioned, my subconscious is very very big in my writing. My actually, I mentioned Carolyn Wheat. She used to be, she used to lead a writer's group I was in for many years. And she said, you know, Matt, your subconscious is a much better writer than you are. And she's absolutely right. So what I, and it wasn't a dig, or maybe it was with her, you never know. Um, so, so what I, when I'm writing a scene, cause I, you know, I'm, I, each day I'm sort of doing the blank page thing, which Raymond Chandler, um, paraphrasing, he every day had to get up and look at a blank page as type, type, typewriter. And I have an idea where I'm going the next day, but a lot of times it is just seat of the pants, blank paging. And sometimes um, I'll be writing a scene and something will pop up. It may not necessarily fit, but there's an idea and I just drop it in. I drop the anchor mm. and I leave it in there and it may be five minutes later, I understand what it meant. And I um, put it in the story, I, you know, I build around it more. And sometimes I don't know what it means, but I leave it in there and they come to me a week or so later. And there are times where um, I get to the end of the book and I've got to go pull up some anchors or the end of a draft, at least, mm -hmm. um, because it didn't go anywhere. But I, I've learned from my first draft, maybe even second draft or even revisions I'm doing now, um, is that if, if my subconscious is telling me this belongs here, I put it in there and I would say, maybe after the last book where I pulled more than I expected, I would say 75% of the time, whatever I'm putting in there enhances the story, mm -hmm. gives me a better idea of what I'm really trying to do. Um, but I may not know it right away. This is the whole blank page or seat of the pants problem is that you sometimes don't know where you're going. You have to, for me, I have to write a very long first draft and I will go with that. I will follow this thing where it goes. And sometimes I know I spent a whole day writing something that I'm going to pull, that I'm going to pull up. But it helps me because I don't outline. It helps me get from where I need to go later in the story. I know that eh, it's filling in the space for me, but it gives me a better idea of what's going on. And it's a messy way. It's not, a, it's not an efficient way to write, but it's the way my brain works. And the more I fight it, um the, the the less i write oh, so i just i remember the before i can't remember what book it was but i said you know what i'm gonna get organized this time i'm gonna do this i, I wasted six weeks i'm not <laughs> i'm not getting anything yeah. done i i have to say this is a problem for rick dive in what i always do for, for rick cahill is i find what's going on in his personal life what's what's the major subplot with him and that's the thing that i hook hook i, I gravitate to mm. and then I find a storyline that will make his life more difficult. May, they may sometimes they they intertwined, but not always. But whatever he's dealing with internally, the job he takes, the case he takes, because he's a private investigator, is going to make that part of his life much more difficult. Mm. And so I don't start with the main story. I mean, I kind of have an idea where I want to go, but I start what's going on with Rick's life, and there's always something very difficult going on in his life. Interesting. Where did you get the uh, the CTE part? Where did that come into to play? Why did you decide to explore that? Good question. Um, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. For those, I mean, any sports fans knows what it is. It's the pro football disease, the head trauma. Um, I had a rule. I had two rules when I first started writing. I didn't know anything. I read the genre forever, as we talked about. I didn't know how to write, even though I'm an English major. But I had two rules. And one of them was 
Rick's not going to have a sidekick. I changed that. It changed the book. It changed the books for me. Um, but it took me a book to find out I, had, I wanted to do that. Interesting. The other was everything, you know, that Connolly has nobody counts. Everyone counts or nobody counts. Yeah. Not stealing for him, but I think of everything, every bad decision, every action Rick has taken, there's repercussions. And when I started writing Rick Cahill 20 years ago, I, of course, we didn't know what CTE was, but there was no way I was going to give him some sort of disease that could shorten his life and, and give him dementia. Um, my publisher's not that happy about it, but what I, what I, I said, I, and I want to make this as real as possible. Rick's been shot a few, he's been shot a few times. Every time there's been a couple of times where I had him take off his shirt and somebody's not in a sexual context, but somebody sees him like, like, Oh my God, like all the scars. And then I have to go back and remember where all they, they all are. But, um, he's had all this physical trauma and I, the rule was everything has to matter. And that includes like, if he gets his ribs bruised early in the book, a week later, they still hurt. And so I've got to be conscious of that. And then when I started to think about, okay, Ricky boxed golden gloves as a kid. He played football, pop Warner up through high school. I think his fresh uh, sophomore year in college played major college football at UCLA for two years. Um, he's been concussed uh, in, in the books. And I thought, well, shit, if I'm going to adhere to this, he's probably got CTE. I mean, he, in real, he probably has it. Mm-hmm. He had every football player they ever cut open and looked for it has had it. It doesn't even matter what position. So he's had all these different brain traumas in his life. He's probably got it. And so I said, well, shit, if I'm going to be true to this guy, he's got CTE. And then then like, okay, now what do you do? And that's where I am now. This is the second book, Doom Legacy, where he's, where he's had it. It's gotten worse. Um, he's, getting, um, he's getting these flash angers with his family that he tries to dissipate by going in his garage where he's got a heavy bag. And but sometimes he can't, and um, that's how the book opens, where he's gotten a big, where he's blown up and left the house, and his wife takes this baby, this baby girl who he never thought he'd be a father. His first wife was murdered, and uh, he's had ups and downs relationships, and he's finally in a good place, going to be the father. He's forty-three or two or three, first child, but then he's gone this kind of life-shortening journey, and now. He can't even control that. He can't control these rages and they're affecting his life. So yeah, it's uh it's a uh, it's you know, I'm writing book ten right now, and uh you still got it. It doesn't go away. So, but I just to be true to my whole thing, I can't I could not see how he did not have it and it had to have a, it had to affect him. Right, right. And here's your, all these books are San Diego. So people who have spent any time in San Diego, they're super fun to read because you'll recognize uh, all these different places and streets and lo- these locales. Um, you even have some, uh, you have some seal action in this one. Uh, Dark yes. Fisher, is Dark Fisher the one with the seal uh, action? In? Yes, I, I wish go. I would have known you at the time, yes. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, the, I love the San Diego. I love having that. Um, having that as a, as a character, essentially a setting in, in these, uh, do you ever think about breaking away from, from that, from this character, from that setting and, uh, and going, going elsewhere, exploring other places in the, in the country or whole other, other storylines with different storylines. Yes. Um, the other parts of the country, uh, um, maybe other parts of, uh, Southern California, um, which for reason i would this uh the 10th book i'm writing is probably going to be the last rick cahill book for a while 
I love the guy. I've written him for 20 years. I've written first person in one character's head for 20 years. So wow. the challenge for me will be to do something different. Yeah. To uh, write third person, which I haven't done since college, wow. which was a long time ago. Um, so yes, I do want, I think it's, it would be a nice, um, uh, just kind of a, to give my um, brain a different way to go. Yeah. I'm going to, I have, I had an idea for, um, that I really sunk my teeth into and for, for unusual personal reasons, I'm decided I, I can't do it. Um, hard to explain, but I won't. Um, so I, I'm, there's a few things percolating in my head, but yeah, I'm finishing book 10 right now. And then the next book I write is going to be something different. Okay. Uh, well, I'm looking yeah. forward to that. And what's uh, It'll so, be crime though. It'll obviously yeah, be crime. Crime, crime mystery. What, um, when you're talking to, when you're uh, researching some of this stuff, some of the, uh, particularly the private investigation and the uh, police procedural type of a thing, um, do you have a, uh, a Rolodex of people that you reach out to, or do you have it down by this point after uh, coming up on 10 novels uh, that, that you kind of, you've, you've got it, or do you pick up the phone and talk to different police officers? Hey, what did we use back in, you know, 95, if he's having, thinking about that, what kind of firearm do you guys carry? Or uh, yeah. what, what kind of police car was it back then? Or, hey, what kind of police car is it now? What are you guys driving? Like, what uh, yeah. do you reach out to? Do you have a whole list of people you reach out to for that stuff, or police and FBI, judges, that sort of a thing? I've had, I've had people I've, that have been helping me over the years. Uh, there was a homicide detective, uh, Tom Bassinger, God rest his soul, he died. Helped me with the first uh, book. He worked in Chula Vista. Um, he passed away. It's been a long time now. Um, but I have a, a former uh, sheriff deputy friend, San Bernardino County, among other places, David Putnam, who's also a writer, um, writes the Bruno Johnson series. And he gives me a lot of help with cop stuff. Mm -hmm. um, Guns, he can, times will help me with guns. Um, I've made a mistake on a gun before. On a gun I owned, I made a mistake. <laughs> which is, I put the serial number in a wrong place. A guy emailed me after the book is out. I go, no, I'm thinking to myself, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I go and get the, I hadn't shot the gun in forever. I go, I look at it, I go, oh my God. <laughs> it's um, so easy to do. <laughs> well, I don't think you make mistakes there. But um, so, so Dave has helped me with a lot of cop stuff. Now, cop cars is interesting because I don't like Dave's not gonna be able to help me with a cop car in uh, say Temecula. Mm. So I try to go talk to people on the on the force there and they it's usually a public relations person and sometimes it can be difficult to find stuff like that. Mm. For interestingly, for the Navy SEAL um, one and dark <laughs> and dark fishers, I've only had generally you know, because when you're asking people for help, they're just giving you help and you have, all you can give them is acknowledgments. You can't give them a piece of the book or anything. So I always say, you know, oh, um, hey, um, would you like me to put your, you know, I'd like to put your name in the acknowledgement. Is that okay for you? And I've only had two people say no. And one was a Navy SEAL. I'm not going to give his name, but um, he has a product that I set out. I, I, can't, I won't say how I came about um, seeing him, learning about him, but it took me a while to get a hold of him. He gave me some really good stuff. But I said, first of all, he's very, because I told him I was a writer. You should always say that you're that you're a novelist because, you, uh, you know, it's, you're not, I'm not like a, reporter or something. Right, a hit piece. And so, yeah, exactly, exactly. He felt that, I could tell. And so finally the wall came down a little bit. And so after the end, I go, man, this has been great. Thanks so much. And um, I learned team guy from him. But um, so I said, and I knew he had a product, that he had a company. And I said, you know, I said, hey, the, the 14 people that read my books, you know, oh, maybe one of it. them would be interested in this. Can I put your your name and, you know, and, and I'll even put your company in there. And he goes, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. And so... And the other one was in the banking industry. And all that I was asking about were um, 
safe deposit boxes. Hey. That was all I was asking about. <laughs> and she did, and she gave me great information. She told me everything I need to know, could not have been nicer. And I said, well, I'd like to put your name in the book. And she goes, oh, no, don't do that. I'm thinking, wow. Interesting. That's just Everybody else was like, yeah, go ahead. I'm thinking, wow, I'm banking. I mean, it was so innocuous stuff, but um, you never know. I'm doing but research on people, safe deposit so, boxes right now, actually. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah. I'm waiting for you if I could, uh, but I can't tell you who it is. Um, <laughs> I can email it to you. Um, but it, it, well, I, you probably find the same thing is that it's, I'm always amazed at how people are so willing to give you information. And, you know, they know it's, they're not going to get anything out of it. I think they, a lot of people like the idea of, of people writing about what they do, and some, even if it's just some small thing. But I am always amazed and thankful for the information people just willingly give me. Yeah. That makes a difference. Oh, yeah. I know I made a mistake in this book, too, that somebody has brought to my attention. But <laughs> there's always going to be the mistakes. Uh, yeah. What is it? Kyle Mills talks about uh, asphalt and concrete. Uh, how many uh, people yeah. <laughs> Tell them the difference. Uh, but yeah. now, like if you found that in, let's say, you know, 1990, uh, 1982, what are you going to do? The asphalt and concrete. Uh, right. I mean, are you going to find the publisher, uh, find the address, write a letter fold that up, put it in the envelope, put the address on, get the postage, mail it, and then hope that someone opens it. And then it, I mean, who are you yelling at about asphalt and concrete back then? But uh, right. no one's taking that time. No one's taking that time to do that. Now they're wasting yeah. precious seconds. They're never going to get back. Precious minutes <laughs> getting very upset about this and then posting publicly that uh, that you got this wrong. Uh, so it's really, oh, yeah. really interesting how, how today, because there's an outlet, for some of these things that you now take time out of your life that you're never going to get back uh, to point. And sometimes they're in good, you know, sometimes they are in, uh, they come from a good place. Like you did get something yeah. wrong and someone wants to, wants to correct you and actually help. But other times they're just mad and they just want to put it out there. Um, yes. But uh, I mean, what, what were you supposed to do back in 1985? You know, you're not going to do anything most likely unless you're a complete crazy person and you're going to actually write this letter and take a 30 minutes or an hour out of your life to do that uh, about asphalt and concrete. Uh, point being, people can point these things out today yes. and they will well, they point do. them out today. <laughs> so you've got to be extra, extra careful about some of those things, um, which is why the, the research often takes uh, uh, a lot longer. And then you have to double check, like find out, right. you read something. Uh, okay. I got to follow up with someone who's actually done these things or confirm it with someone who's a subject matter expert in that area, just to make sure uh, to, to minimize <laughs> the amount of people that are going to let you know that you messed something up got to find that asphalt expert. Exactly. I, I actually almost made a mistake on asphalt or concrete. It's easy to and, do. Uh, I think it was the first book, but I, but I did my research. There you go. There you go. It's one of those ones that you just kind of throw in there. And you, if you're not thinking about it, it's a, it, that's a pretty easy one to, to mess up. But there's tons of examples like that. Yeah. Um, that's part of the fun too. You know, and, and today you got to know that being out there, I mean, you're doing, you're making, it's, just, it, it's, it's, it's art, it's public. It's like you're unveiling your the statue. You're unveiling the thing that you've painted for uh, a month, six months, a year, and then yeah. everybody gets to throw arrows. Everybody, right? Or, or shoot arrows, uh, throw spears at it. Uh, there's nothing you can do. It's just how it is today. Um, you can choose maybe not to look at those reviews. Do you read your reviews, or do you read some of them? Well, Jack, I think only. Um small-minded people would read the reviews. I read all my reviews. <laughs> I read every, everything I can find. I just got a bad review from a major, uh, a major uh, reviewer uh, on Doom Legacy, honestly, um, uh, which is a little disconcerting, but then I got, I've got some good ones. But um, And then one of the comments he made at the end is, is like, no, he doesn't get it because talked about Rick's 
kind of the Rick's mistakes or not specifically that, but, but that's part of the Rick's deal is he's not, he's not perfect. He's not a Superman. He makes mistakes. That's part of his whole character. And so whenever I see that, I'm kind of, oh, that's okay. That's good. Cause the people that, that um, read me for me, for, for, for Rick, get it. And there's people that do like that kind of character. There's also people that like perfect people, yeah. perfect uh, protagonists, but there's a lot that don't, but um, yeah, I do read reviews and, you know, I've actually, you know, you know, the, the worst place I, I've seen you, uh, I've seen you read your bad reviews, um, <laughs> the few that you get, yeah. but the, um, you know, I even read the Goodreads one. The Goodreads is where you get hit badly, oh, but it's um, brutal. Goodreads is I, brutal. I don't look there anymore. Yeah. It's too brutal. I do. <laughs> uh, and then I tell some friends, Hey, have you, if you've not reviewed this yet, you may want to put a honest, good review up because I need the, the numbers to go up a little bit. But, um, <laughs> I have actually, I've read some and go, you know what? He or she has a point there, mm-hmm. and it's something. And um, you know, you got to write the book. You got to write the book. But it's yeah. something like you know, I kind of understand that, and I've been cognizant of some cr- critique huh. from reviewers as in just mom and pop reviewers. As I've gone ahead, I, I'm try. I try to be open minded about it. Sometimes I think hey, shit, but um, no, I go. You know what? I kind of I can see that. Yeah. No, it's interesting because I don't. I don't take into account um the reviews uh i mean i read them because i like to do those negative reviews every now and again it's kind of fun i don't look at goodreads i did at the beginning it's just people are just too brutal over there uh it's, it's, it's typically just amazon you'll just go through and pick out some bad ones just go to the hit the one star thing and then read some uh some of those and have a little little fun with them but much like yeah. for the terminalist uh amazon series um those bad reviews i think helped make that number one uh show on amazon prime video oh yeah so so i think that bad reviews actually do do help uh or they certainly can because what someone hates guess what another person will love and be like well that's the kind of character i'm looking for and they'll go to this because that other person wrote something horrible about what they didn't like but guess what everybody has different likes and dislikes uh that's why chasing those reviews um, like I've never, I've never done that. Um, meaning I don't write for, uh, for reviews. I just write the story and it's going to yeah. story. I'm going to make it as good as I can possibly get it. My goal is always to improve it every, every time, just like with anything in life, get better at the craft, um, write a better story every single time. Cause people are trusting me with that time that they're never going to get back. Um, but if I, you can jump around because everyone has different tastes and this is subjective, much like the statue, much like the painting, it's subjective. Uh, yeah. so if you run around trying to chase those things, uh, then guess what? You're still not pleasing anybody. And what is it doing? Is it helping the story? I don't know. I guess it depends on the author, but, uh, for me, I'm just all in on the story and making it the best I can possibly be. And the only reason I look at those bad reviews now is so I can read them and have a little fun with them on, uh, on the podcast. I don't, I don't, I don't chase them either, but I, you know, I do like to know what people think, but, but there have, like I said, there have been a couple of times where I go, you know what, I, I can see that, that error here. I can see the point there. Yeah. And that's just, that's just another, um, you know, another alpha reader giving me feedback. Yeah. But a lot of the time, and what I, in my warped mind, I will, when I see a bad review and then I'll read what they didn't like, and, and it's more about the character flaws. I'm thinking, yeah, this is good. This, this, I did what I wanted to with this yeah. book because I know that not everybody is going to like it. I'm writing a character, and so are you. Who not everybody's going. Some people are gonna have some very visceral feelings about mm-hmm. because my guy, as your guy does, my guy walks the line. Um, he has murdered people um, for you know, and he's got his own set of uh, justice. And but don't all megalomaniacs. Um, so. You know, the, the, the people have to understand the character, and I try to be on the edge almost in every book. And I sometimes I think, I don't know if he's even. I actually have asked my editor, I go, is he 
too unlikable here. Mm. And, um, you know, and they may say he is or he isn't, but I'll figure it out. But mm. so I'm always trying to walk that edge. Yeah. Um, and more in the later books and probably in the earlier ones. So uh, it's about it's a delicate balance. But, um, you, you know, you can't please everybody. And who wants you're not going to, you know, if you who would watch if it's a TV show and everything is going right and he's a perfect guy. I'm not watching that. Yeah, no, that's interesting. So I do think about the likability part of it because I think about, hey, what I want to spend, let's say if I'm listening to this, Ray Porter's reading it for 13 hours. And let's say I'm reading it in a chair and I'm going to spend between 10 and 15 hours or 10 and 18, depending on how fast I, I read. Um, right. Do I? And I thought about this at the beginning when I first started down this path. I thought, is, that, is someone going to want to spend 18 hours, 15 hours, 10 hours with someone that uh, isn't likable? And so I thought that yeah. was important uh, for a main for a main character, for a protagonist. Anyway, I wanted him to be uh, someone that you'd want to sit down and have a beer with. That's kind of that was my right. that was my bar. Like, do I want to sit down and have a beer with this guy? Do I want to sit down and have a coffee with this person? And uh, if my answer was yes, which it was, uh, then uh, then that's that's where I'm I'm going with it because you are spending so much time with uh, with this person, time that you're never gonna get back. Um, so uh, so that's kind of that. So as far as likability, I did think about that um, right out of the out of the gate. But if you would you want to sit down with him after you crossed him? <laughs> you don't want to. Yeah, exactly. No, if you're the one that crosses him. Probably not. It's probably a trap. It's probably uh, it's probably an ambush uh, right there. But uh, speaking of TV, um, these things would make incredible series, incredible films. Um, has there been any any talks with uh, with Hollywood about turning these things in? Because it's it's all there. And you start yeah, here, you start here with yesterday's Thank echo you. and you move up here, not to last redemption, but to doomed legacy. Uh, and it's all, it's all there for them. I mean, and, and, and so fantastic. So has there been, been any talks on that front? Your words to Hollywood's ears. Um, there I've got, uh, I've actually have a, a new, uh, Hollywood agent who, who my publicist sent a book to, and I didn't even know she was doing that. I have a private publicist, um, who used to work for my publisher. And young guy, go getter, works for a big agency and big, uh, big, uh, you know, uh, talent agency. And he was all excited about it, Doom Legacy. And he wants, does he have representation? And she didn't even know. I go, yeah, I do. And um, I don't really have a say of whether um, I can go somewhere else, but I talked to my agent, my literary agent. I talked to my Hollywood agent who worked really hard for me for 10 years. Done, did their best to try to get um, a foothold somewhere. Never were able to for whatever reasons. I knew that they were behind the work. I knew that they worked hard. Never did. So um, working with somebody new now who's really got some interesting ideas. It was uh, funny because I always thought, well, you know, Rick's a middle-aged guy, and anybody, and I'm an, I'm not a middle-aged guy. I'm older than that. Does anybody care about in his private eye? Does anybody care about that anymore? And he said, well. Connolly just sold Avalon, um, which is a new series from a short story. I don't even know he he read this short story, and he said he said Beachside Private Eyes are in now. <laughs> I said you're that's, kidding. That's how it I'm works. Kidding. My time. <laughs> now it's only been it's only been like a month, and I haven't heard anything. But um, but no, there hasn't been. There was there hasn't been. No, um, it's disappointing. But I think there. I think at some point something will probably happen because there are yeah. so many options now. Right. I mean, you can really have your own specific um, interest, and somebody's probably doing that. But um, nothing so far. Thank you to mention that. But um, 
I'm hopeful, uh, but you know, I just keep writing the books. There you go. That's all you can do is keep writing the books. But, um, but yeah, they would make a great, a great series. And uh, typically in Hollywood, you know, when something comes out that, uh, that works, then they scramble for some other things in the same, uh, right. in the same vein. So, um, so I'm, I'm hopeful as well. And, uh, man, thank you so much for doing this and thank you for all your support right out of the gate. We met at the, was it San Diego book festival? Is that what it's, uh, San Diego it's festival of books. Yeah. Uh, festival yeah. Books. That was I think great. it was after uh, terminal list came out. Yep, exactly. And we were on the big stage. You were in New York. You were, I think you were a New York times bestseller. I think not, not yet. Huge, not back then. Well, you had, I think you got a review by the New York times or something. Uh, Cause there was huge acclaim for you early. And we were with T Jefferson Parker, the great T Jefferson Parker, uh, mystery writer, fantastic guy. Yep. And so it was my first time on the big stage. We were in the big room, the big yep. stage. And we, there was a green room and you were, First of all, everybody knows you. You're a very nice guy. And so you're, it was new to you, and you're asking me questions, or at least maybe I'm volunteering. I don't remember specifically, but like marketing stuff, when I'm, I'm going, yeah, I had all these opinions. I know nothing, right? So, so then uh, Jack Carr blows up, and then I actually go on his website to buy, <laughs> to buy his brand nice. on my own. Didn't ask Jack for a hat. <laughs> And so this guy is the marketing genius. I'm thinking, why was he waste? I mean, he's just being nice. Nah. Just being nice. But, but one thing, it was cool to have a green room. You don't always get those when you're doing an event. So, but no, um, no, I, I appreciate you having me, Jack. I'm a big fan. And uh, I know I'm probably a little bit of a crossover for a lot of your fans, but, um, you know, that's how you learn new things. And, uh, but uh, I really appreciate being on. I, I watch the podcast, love the podcast. I think you do a great job. And, and um, you know, you, you really do introduce people to a lot of different things, you know, things that I, and it's always fascinating to you. Always like, Oh, you know, I'm driving the store. I'll put it on like a fuck. Now I got to put my earbuds in. I got to I go, <laughs> go in. I got to be concentrating when I'm doing my self checkout and making mistakes, but no, no, you do. Uh, you got a great podcast and I'm, I'm honored to be on it. I really am. Really appreciate it. Oh man. No, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, best of luck with this doom legacy. And I, I'm, I'm so excited that I got the one that was misprinted right here. Cause I love things should, like that. We uh, should say we're, we're, we're taping before yes. a month or two before. So people out there, it's going to have the right to, uh, dust cover when you buy it that's right it'll have the right dust cover when uh when this uh podcast drops which is the week that the book comes out which is in november so yeah, um, so this will uh it'll be available now and check them all out and then go back and get the first one and get the whole series uh highly recommend it for people that love to read love mysteries love crime love thrillers or that are students of the genre or just students of writing of the craft in general because just by reading these books you'll learn so much about the craft so uh so highly recommend dive right in and man, thank you so much. I hope we get to link up in person soon at one of the, another, uh, another event. Cause after that one we did, what was the one in long beach that we did? Um, Coming up actually in uh, November it's uh, men of mystery. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I did that one. Yeah, we right. did that one in 2019 and that was a crazy one. I had my foot on the gas. I was, I often think back to the fall of 2019 as uh, I think it was necessary, but I was not at home at all. I felt so bad missing so much of the, the kids sports and school events yeah. and all that stuff. But um, I think I went right from there up to another, I was just gone the, all of 2019. It was the beginning of the blast for you. You were, you it was were crazy. Really skyward. It was crazy, but it was so much fun. We got to hang out together and we got to, to listen to what uh, Scott Brick talked, uh, I think, at, uh, about yeah. narration. So that's a great, uh, great event. I hope to make it back there uh, one of these days. 
the rest cool. of my fall is canceled so I can write this and uh, work on some scripts. So, um, oh, good for so, you. Yeah, Fantastic. So lots going on. But, uh, man, thank you so much. And, uh, thank you, man. yeah, best wishes. And hopefully I'll see you soon. Thanks for having me. Great seeing you. All right. Take care. Thanks, buddy. November 11th is Veterans Day. But at Navy Federal Credit Union, every day is Veterans Day. I've been a member since 1996, right after boot camp and right before I went to BUDS or SEAL training. Navy Federal Credit Union is for active duty veteran DOD employees and their families. They offer resources like the VA Loans Hub and Best Cities After Service. They offer veteran employment assistance partnerships with nonprofits like The Mission Continues. They're a top VA home loan lender. They offer personal finance counseling. They offer 24-7 member service and are a growing community of over 1.8 million veterans just like you. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash veterans. Insured by NCUA, an equal housing lender. I want to thank my friends at Black Rifle Coffee for sponsoring the Danger Close podcast. I've been a huge fan for the longest time. Drink Black Rifle Coffee every day. And if you keep your eyes peeled, you will notice that perhaps Chris Pratt is wearing a Black Rifle Coffee t-shirt, not unsimilar to this one, in the Amazon series adaptation of the Terminal List. Now you can go to blackriflecoffee.com slash dangerclose and use code dangerclose 20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Black Rifle Coffee, America's Coffee, keep crushing. Gators Eyewear. I have been wearing Gators sunglasses since I first found them in a motorcycle shop in Chula Vista, California, back when I was a new guy at SEAL Team 5 in 1998. Back then, I found these, the Raptors, and I wore them on every single deployment and wore them in my cameo in the Terminal List where I got in a little gunfight with Chris Pratt playing James Reese. And Chris wore these right here. These are the Magnums. And lately, I've been wearing the new Deltas. So every 25 years or so, I'll switch it up and wear a different style of Gator sunglasses. So these are the Deltas. They're wearing these recently. And obviously, love this company, love this product. Gators is the proud manufacturer of American-made eyewear for those who build and protect our nation. Each pair is hand-assembled in Yuma, Arizona, forged by CNC machining aluminum and designed to offer elite-level ballistic protection for those who push the limits every day. They have a custom fit. They are impact-resistant and come in a lot of different types, polarized, non-polarized, high-contrast shooting lenses, clear-to-dark transitional lenses, available to block 100% of harmful UV rays. Anyway lot more options than back when I found them in 1998. So check them out on their website. Go to gators.com. And right now you can get 25% off. That's gators, G-A-T-O-R-Z.com slash danger close for 25% off. Check out a few of my favorites and be sure and save that 25%. Once again, G-A-T-O-R-Z dot com slash danger close offer is valid site-wide through the end of the year grab a pair for yourself or pick up a pair for a gift gator sunglasses check them out welcome to the gear highlight portion of the danger close podcast all right check this out aries watch and I love Aries watches right here. This is the Diver one. Um, they have a couple different versions out there, but I keep going back uh, to this one right here. Super nice, 
Bam, Matt Graham, you can catch him on the podcast. We did that a few months ago. Super guy. But Aries Watches, go check out what they have going on. What else here? Brain Treatment Foundation. So braintreatmentfoundation.com. Check out what they have going on. Uh, thank you guys for the hat right here. It's one of the foundations that we supported through the Amazon Prime Video Terminalist series. And they've helped out a lot of great friends of mine. So uh, check out what they have going on and uh, give them some support. And it doesn't have to be financial. It can be with a follow. It can be with a repost. It can be with all that sorts of things. There's a lot of uh, a lot of options these days rather than just uh, sending a check, although I know they would appreciate that as well. So braintreatmentfoundation.com. Gators, man, thank you guys. They sent me a really cool package. I've been wearing Gators since... 1997, 1998. So it's been a while and I still have my originals. Um, and right here, Gators, check out this package right here. These are the Spectres that they sent right here, but they have a long history with Naval Special Warfare. Of course, they're in my novels. Chris Pratt wears them in the series and just a good group of people over there making a really cool product. So these are the Spectres right here. Again, Gators sunglasses. Check them out. Give them a follow. Cryptol, man, Cryptol phones right here. Today, as you're trying to communicate securely, it's a lot harder than it used to be. Um, and if I can figure out how to open this thing, there it is. We could open it up and check it out. So it's like a regular Apple type phone. They have a bunch of different versions out there. But Cryptol uh, right now, as far as I know, uh, they're at the top of the pyramid when it comes to secure communications. And there are a few people out there that I could mention who use it, but uh, they like to remain anonymous. So Cryptol phones, check them out. And uh, yeah, pretty cool. That's why they've been in a couple of my novels thus far and in the show. And right here, I'm wearing the shirt, Protect right here. Love the shirt right there in the back. Remain rooted, love it. But uh, right here, Energy, they make clean supplements. And right here, this is one I've been using quite a bit of hydration, raspberry, it is delicious. So um, as I'm writing away and need something to, to hydrate, these guys have me covered. So thank you guys. Uh, Nick Norris, dear friend of mine from the SEAL teams, uh, is involved with these guys uh, and they're doing great things. So give them a follow, check them out and use them to hydrate or energy. There's a bunch of other stuff they have out there as well. All right. That is it for today. Take care out there. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. To find out more about Matt Coyle, go to his website, Matt Coyle, and that is C-O-Y-L-E, mattcoylebooks.com. You can link to him on the social channels there, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. But once again, mattcoylebooks.com. My next novel is the title is out now and it is called only the dead check out that video it's on instagram it's on facebook it's on twitter and it is on the jack car youtube channel it is available for pre-order now once again it is called only the dead you can follow me at jack car usa on the social channels officialjackcar.com that is the website you can sign up for the newsletter there you can click shop for the merch there and until the next time Take care out there. Stay safe. Be strong. Keep fighting.